the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. An Erio's Original. There's a version, a demo version, that I actually think is better than the, the original. Wow. Where the, the lyrics are almost totally different. Instead of like him, it was sung to her. Outspoken women on stage being funny, I feel like it yeah. is like such an encouraging, positive it is. sign of democratic action. It's taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. Welcome to The Margaret Show, where we talk to people you know and people you should know. Today... I am talking with Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter Amy Mann. Yeah, coming out of the dark. Oh. And uh, thanks for coming over. Hey, you're welcome. Um, we have some bandmates in common. Um, I do some uh, music with Grant. Oh, Grant is the best. He is amazing. He's the best. He's amazing. And I've recorded over at Ryan's place in like a... Oh, Ryan is the best also. He's amazing. You have two and, of the best. Yeah. And, An accordion in the room. <laughs> Do you play accordion? I'm trying. I'm trying. It's hard. It's, I don't understand it. I don't understand it either. I have never tried, but I'm... I'm just starting a project that requ- that will require uh, accordion, Ooh. and I'm like, how do I write? Maybe I just don't write for it. Maybe I just like get a great guy to play it later. Well, I think maybe it's. I think like I, it's. I I find that it's a cross between a harmonium and a piano, and it's just the bellows. And if you can kind of noodle around with it, you could probably get something very pleasing. Yeah, but it's very strange. There's too many things to do all at once. It's the buttons that confound me. I don't understand the buttons. The buttons, I'm like, I don't know, but I wish that I was more adept at it because it's a cool looking instrument. It's very cool. And it sounds beautiful. Yeah, I feel like it can do a lot, but you know, it's, it's just a, a lot to master. And it's heavy. It's heavy, right? It hurts my back, but it's also like, I think um, it's it's amusing because you can actually sort of stay in the game, like of like talk, like if you're singing... You can sort of stay upright. As a the guitar, I'm always looking down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even piano, you're always like facing something else. But with 
accordion, you're like with your audience. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You can stay forward. So, but I look forward to hearing your voice with the accordion. Um, it's for a musical idea that I'm working on with some, some friends. And I, oh. so I don't, you know, so I may not be the one singing it, but, uh, but that's really cool. But also maybe I would record some of those songs. Who knows? Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, so we have some, uh, bandmates in common, a uh, Paul Bryan also fabulous person great 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 players all and um but i love playing with grant because there's a kind of assurance that he uh brings to the band stage yeah that's kind of a comfort yeah he's incredibly talented great voice great songwriter Mm -hmm. he's you know he's everything i thought he lived in nashville i thought that he moved to nashville where is he now I thought he was now in Nashville. He is, yes. Okay. So now he's in Nashville, but he's touring a lot. Um, and uh, they moved there uh, uh, when um, with the night baby, Violet, because she was the baby. Well, she was stay yeah. up all night, so she was. Oh we called her the baby of the night. Oh, my God. So he was out there with Denise and the baby of the night, Violet. And then, um, and then yeah, he's on the road a lot. And, yeah. uh, and I, hopefully he's sleeping at a normal hour. I think now. now. I think now. But uh, yeah, they um, they were like, oh, Amy only wants to do uh, one take of that song. Like you, do you always only do one take? That's hilarious <laughs> that for to have that reputation. Probably, uh, I, I I've occasionally just done one take. I don't I don't like to rehearse something. I don't like to play it or do do so many takes that I get like that it gets lost to me mm-hmm. um but uh I'm I'm rarely one take singer but it's happened on occasion yeah I feel like it's kind of a miracle like I I'm it's funny that I would be known as the one take person well it's kind of like it makes me feel better because I don't want to do any more takes than one and I'm not a one take singer and I'm not a one take anything but for some reason I think I should be yeah and I but yeah, it's yeah. like I also I think it's because I've done really long sessions with um desmond child and with him you'll do 200 takes wow (laughs) it's too many takes there i need to know what that story is how that happened well i don't that's too that is too many takes it ruins you can't get inside the music anymore it ruins it but it's also like i'm not that kind of a singer yeah you know like they are talking like laura nero or even something like shaka khan i don't have that kind of a dynamic voice so like for me it's like let's just like make kind of sound on on the key. Yeah, that's all I care about. Yeah, but uh, with him, I did a song um, for uh, that was actually like a cast off of a Britney song in two thousand and eight um, uh, called Millennium Woman, and it was by Andreas was the writer, so it was like one of those Max Martin guys. Got it. So yeah. and then uh, so we did it at Record Plant, so it was like a huge that's session, a big session, and I didn't have to pay for anything, thank God. But it was great because and Desmond was the producer and. So we're in there, but we were in there for so long, and I, I really wanted to cry because it was so many takes. Uh, yeah, that would depress me. That's too much. It's too many takes, and it's like, well, I would say five takes is where it's like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. Where that's like the limit of still enjoying the song and also just not like losing what the vibe of the song is. Right. But it's like that, you know, there's so much intimacy in your songs. And, you know, because of one of your songs, I increased my age on my dating profile. So now I went up <laughs> because of Miss, uh, Mr. Harris. I have gone up to uh, 71 on, no, 73 on my, no, 71. Oh 71 is the limit on my dating profile because wow. I, th- I keep thinking um, uh, about uh, Mr. Harris living with a sister in a furnished flat. Right. So maybe you'll get an old guy. 
you'll get like a solid 15 and then you move on to the next one. I love that. that that, I love that song because (laughs) I can see him in my mind's eye. And then I kind of think amateur is about him after you broke up. Oh, that's funny. No, it isn't. But I actually saw I was in in Brookline in Boston when I lived in Boston. I was walking around the neighborhood and I actually saw like an old guy like that, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of dressed in his Sunday best raking his little yard. And it was just so awesome. So that's who I based it on. It makes me cry because it's like such a loving song that's so full of hope. And it's like this thing of like um, when you're... uh, searching for those kinds of things of like when you're writing a perfect love song like doesn't necessarily have to speak to your own experience but it it is like it's so real it feels like it happened Mm -hmm. you know that's nice thank you which i love but then i was like oh and the relationship was terrible and then they then she wrote amateur (laughs) (laughs) uh no amateur is written about probably a compendium of people well amateur to me is like um is uh First of all, it's a waltz, yeah, which is so um, exciting in pop music. I love a waltz. I love it. I could literally just write nothing but waltzes if I was allowed to. It feels so good, and it also feels like very Victorian too. Mm-hmm. There's something about it that I want to like. Uh, I feel like that that, that I there should be a player piano that I can scroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it'll play on. The that drum loop is on a machine called the Optagon, which was like, you know, kind of like a Mellotron, which would play loops of things, but it would play, you know, actual sort of pieces of bands playing. So that mm. that little brump da dump that and you yeah. can hear, you know, the age in it. You can hear like yeah. it's it sounds like it's from an old record. It does, but it doesn't have like that uh, very self-conscious crackle. Like, you know, when you're watching like a reality TV show and there'll be like a needle skip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, it does not have a fake crackle. Yeah. You know, the crackle is there, but it's so real and recessed in the background mm-hmm. that it almost just exists in your mind's eye as like the flicker of a um, kinescope. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so that, I mean, that's what I, there's so much depth in your production and, um, I, I just, and I, I was going back and, um, watching Magnolia and for me, it's really like a great tradition of like Hal Ashby doing, uh, like the Cat Stevens, all of Harold yeah, yeah, and Maude, yeah, yeah. his Cat Stevens songs, or even, is it Mike Nichols that did the graduate that did all of yeah. the, uh, Simon and Garfunkel? Yeah. Um, was that the approach that uh, P.T. Anderson had with that? I think I think so. He never really articulated that to me, but I sort of feel like that that was the idea that he that he liked that you know one artist voice for a, through a whole movie. And it's it's very perfect for that film because it's all of these different stories. Yeah, and yet mm-hmm. having um, your voice as a character, almost like your your singing throughout it is a character in the movie that's very interesting it never occurred to me but that i think that's a really good point that Mm -hmm. it's like yeah to have one singer throughout the the whole thing is acts as kind of an anchor to tie yeah it's like a voiceover right a narrator that um which i think exists there is a narrator in magnolia but it only appears he only appears a couple of times yeah like it's when Patton's falling off the tree yeah and then when the frogs right 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 so i think that's the only times where you you hear it but then your voice throughout it and then i really am very comforted whenever i hear you do uh harry nelson 
Uh, well, I mean, it's a great song, and you know, you kind of can't go wrong. Do you cover any other Harry Nilsson? I don't think so, but I do love his songs. I do love his songs. But he's such a great singer. Like, yeah. it's hard to want to replace his voice with your own. But there's, um, there's a something about when you sing songs from men that it really, it resonates with me, you know, in that movies the soundtrack in particular with like one or um logical song that i didn't sing that but oh, that's in there yeah, yeah. but the, those kinds of you you know like especially with one mm-hmm. that's that kind of thing of like it really fits your voice like a, there's a comfort there right yeah yeah, yeah. in it um and i feel like i've heard you sing gilbert o'sullivan i uh, yeah i think i've done a cover of naturally yeah probably alone again naturally like not i don't think i recorded it but Mm -hmm. i know i've sung it because it's one of my favorite songs it's like a deep it's it's a deep comfort and um warmth but yeah and that in that movie uh save me is sort of like the thing of like i i think i'm also like every time julianne moore's in a movie i'm that i'm that her i'm her yeah so whether it's boogie night i'm definitely her in magnolia in the pharmacy and I'm definitely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely her um, yelling at uh, her uh, husband uh, without pants on yeah. in shortcuts. <laughs> I'm definitely her there. But uh, so I, much pantsless yelling. I love it. It's so good. Um, but yeah, "Save Me" is such a, a beautiful, a beautiful song. Did you, did you write that specifically for the movie, or was it written and then you? Kind of at the same time as he, Paul and I were working sort of simultaneously. So it mm-hmm. was like the mu- movie wasn't completely finished, but mm-hmm. but the script was, you know. Yeah, but it's beautiful. And then did you play a song or did you get nominated for an Academy Award? Yep. And for, for, for Save Me. For yeah. Save Me. Mm-hmm. And then I remember you played, you had a white suit, right? Or who played no, with you and had a white suit? That's so funny because Elliot Smith oh, had a white suit the, okay. the year before. I mixed metaphor. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, but I remember watching you on there. Who did you play with? And that was the year that they decided that each song would only get thirty seconds, so oh they would God. mash them all together <gasps> and do a medley. So I like played for thirty seconds, and then like Randy Newman, like you know, th- we throw over to you know Randy Newman or or um, the South Park guys, like. <laughs> I know it's like so unfair. Thirty seconds unfair per song. Come on. To be nominated. I mean, then you know because that is my favorite part of the Oscars. Yeah, I mean now they like they really get like each one has its own showpiece. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know we had to do a medley with each other. We were all looking side eyed at each other. That's like, not Ugh. cool. I gotta That's share the cool. stage. Yeah, <laughs> this is my one moment in the sun, and here I gotta share it with you guys. Well, it's um. Yeah, that that sucks, but it, it it it's a it's a beautiful song, and it's it's something that uh, it stayed with me. I we use the song in my TV show, Drop Dead Diva, for a sequence that um, when Jamie Babbitt was a uh, was directing, and so she brought it in. And we had a queer prom, and so oh. they all slow danced oh, to "Save Me," which is beautiful yay. and uh, so so good. But um, the uh, yeah, your music has been a constant with me. For I, I as long as I was really into music, and I remember probably the first appearance was like an MTV uh, video news segment about you singing during Voices Carry and standing up in oh, the theater, uh-huh. and how terrifying that was <laughs> to actually like start singing and you know the the um, 
uh, the guy in the tank top that, you don't care about me. Oh, God, he was such a mug. He was such a lump. <laughs> and I I was, wa- oh, I remember going, why would she like him? Like, I'm like, I don't think that she Because would- I wasn't at the casting is the problem. <laughs> I was like, what an odd choice <laughs> yeah. to like him. And then I'm like, well, no, yeah, I've been, so a, funny. I've been I know. with guys like that, you know, but it was kind of a funny thing of like, I didn't see, I couldn't see you together. And I was kind of like, I don't know. And uh, I don't think she should, th- he's not ready for her anyway. And, but then I like you in the black wig. Uh, thank you. <laughs> it's so beautiful. But that song is, is really amazing. I mean, and the song, I think, really, it, it carries on. Mm, thank you. It's a beautiful one. I think it's like the, I don't know, 3,000th uh, anniversary. I can't remember how long ago it was, like 85. So, yeah. 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 So it's some uh, giant anniversary of it. And my, my manager and I were... Um, looking through old tapes to see if there were, you know, tapes of demos and stuff. And there was a, there's a version, a demo version that I actually think is better than the, the original. Wow. Where the, the lyrics are almost totally different. I, oh. I knew I had changed some of them, but I didn't realize I changed them all. And it was, it was from, it was like sung to a, um, instead of like him, it was sung to a her. Ooh. And it was, it's so much more interesting. And of course the record company was like, oh, we can't have a woman singing to a her. Like that's, you know, that can't be done. Um, but yeah, like I think it's it's actually much better. So I think we're going to release it in some fashion. Oh, I love yeah. it. Because I think that that um, actually, it makes sense to have it be two women in the song because it, then you, it's like the voices carry thing is speaks to the fear of the and the secrecy of queerness in the eighties, yeah, and how dangerous it was to sort of be outed, and so you had to sort of really keep it under wraps. Yeah, I mean, mind you, that was not in my mind. It mm-hmm. was like I got the idea from for the song. Uh, a friend of mine, a guy, was telling me about a girl that he was seeing, but she was trying to keep the relationship secret. Yeah, and so I was just singing from his point of view, like I wasn't thinking about anything uh, yeah. more interesting than that. But um, but I do like it ha- that it has this application. Yeah, and then like, but like much later on, if you could like have, a, if you were singing to a woman, then like you could look at it this historic p- perspective of it and be like. Oh well, that's the the other layer yeah. of um, baggage that you could put on there. Yeah, exactly. Um, which gives it real resonance. Um, I think that. Uh, so then there was. I remember that, and then I remember you're in a Rush video. Yeah, which is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> I got to sing. I know, and I think it was the only person who like was on a Rush song. I think so. That wasn't a Rush member. I know, which is a huge big deal. It's so sweet that they they called me and asked me to do that i don't really know why i think probably somebody was like you should get uh some other you know some get some new wave get some new wave girl on this so good who knows who knows why that happened but i'm so glad it did are you a new wave girl i kind of oh i was then i mean i you know like kind of post new wave i guess well in voices carry there is some there is some cars dna there's some boston yeah for sure there's some boston uh we loved the cars i I mean they were like our boston you know new wave heroes everything yeah and there the uh uh spare guitar that the sort of baseline of it it's it's quite uh, like it's like you you get in new wave i guess you get the sketches of songs and they're sort of like it's not as full and resonant as like the 70s yeah so you get like the that kind of like tense plucking feeling mm-hmm. which i think is in it's that a lot of chunk 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 love. yeah a lot of that stuff i love but i don't think of you as 
a new wave singer, even though I guess that would be technically right, I guess, but it's to me, you're much more of um, a, a Renaissance woman because there's a lot going on. You know, it's, it's not just music, it's comedy, also film work, also, you know, oh, thank you. Lots of stuff. So the diversity is, it's pretty profound. Well, you know, it's like you want, you like to say yes to stuff. I mean, and I think ever since, you know, I, um, I mean, I first met you at the the old Largo, mm-hmm. the Cafe Largo in Los Angeles, and uh, because my husband and I would go to the Monday night comedy nights, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so every ever since those those times, like I've been really interested in comedy and really attuned to comedians, and mm-hmm. like I just find the quickness of mind and the use of language so fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, anytime anybody asks me to do anything comedy adjacent, I'm yeah. like, I'll give it a try. It's great. Let's try. It's great. And it's it's really I mean, I love like all of the Christmas stuff that you do with yeah. Grant and it it's really I mean, I think it's just so inventive and so exciting. Um so like I think that the main jump I guess for you musically for me was probably going um solo. Mm-hmm. And then your solo records and, um, you know, the, the tone change. And I think it's a time, it's a, it's a time thing too. So it's like going from something like Voices Carry to 4th of July mm-hmm. is such a big shift, but I can see where it goes like musically. Like, yeah. did you think like, okay, this is what I want to turn into, or this is what I'm going to be, or was it more like your, uh, writing seemed to be more yourself in which 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 incarnation do you think starts? Is it? I think when when I when I was until Tuesday, we were listening to a lot of um, f- like funk dance music, like the Gap Band oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Chic and stuff. Of course. So most of what we did um, when we first started out were, was like a, you know just a funk groove, like gung gung ba ba, like you know like a sort of mid tempo funk groove. And so voices carry like that just straight dunk 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 dunk. That that was kind of an anomaly for us. Um, and that was so that was the first record. And then after and I used to write songs on the bass, which is mm-hmm. why so much of it was more, um, you know, groove oriented. And then I started writing songs on acoustic guitar. And so my writing totally changed. And, and I think my singing style changed because the way I was singing before, I mean, besides being like kind of new wave influenced, was, um, you know, just born out of shouting over bad monitors and in like crummy little clubs. So once I got into the studio and could hear myself sing, I just started to sing different, you know, differently, like more, you know, I tried to sing more like my speaking voice. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really like the evolution is the, you know, the tools really shaped the sound. Yeah. And I can feel that like there is something also, it reminds me of Karen Carpenter because it's in the closeness of your, mouth to the microphone mm-hmm. that is the perfect place to hear and so it's really ideal to listen to you on headphones because it's an intimacy yeah yeah of, yeah of and i just voice. have a very soft voice so i have to get right up on the mic there's something about the amplification that almost brings it closer to the ear as opposed to louder right right which i think um is rare yeah I don't want to be that close to a singer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know most people are, I don't really want them whispering in my ear late but at night in, in headphones. I like it when it's Karen Carpenter. I love it when it's you. Uh, I, I think maybe Thank I wouldn't you. like it if it was like Bjork. 
Yeah. Although I, I love Bjork. But, but might be a little scary or intimidating. It's a more like a jump scare. Yeah. Like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> Are there singers that you listen to uh, either now or then that kind of maybe inspire you or that you think of? My favorite singer um, is Colin Blundstone from the Zombies. I think oh, he yeah, has yeah. got the greatest voice. It mm-hmm. is like a little piece of velvet on your ear. Ooh. It's so great. His tuning is so great his phrasing is great everything about him is great so much like feeling and personality Mm. um yeah i think he's the best he's the best rock singer yeah yeah i like uh this guy that i've been listening to a lot named steve eggers Mm -hmm. he's in a band called the nines and they are very it's like anything power pop i'm kind of like been listening to lately Uh so it would be him or um something like the band that there's a band called the shivers which is like a weird 80s anything that was made between 1978 and 1981 uh-huh. i want to listen to that's like your, it's the records yeah yeah or like john wick and the records are like a any a cheap trick <laughs> the records i love the records the records yeah. are so good love the records i love i love power pop because it's all about a record deal going bad fights with your band yeah, starry eyes i know i love it right <laughs> I love yeah it. I love like you getting stranded in a city that you don't want to be in, um, liking your record label. So that's like any kind of Nicklo rock pile uh, song. Well, Nicklo is the greatest. He's so great. Yeah. He's so great. Um, or He's a great songwriter. He's a great songwriter. You know, power, power pop or non-power pop. So yeah, mm-hmm. like all of his songs are great. Everything. And uh, I love to watch it. And he, he's kind of my Mr. Harris also. Yes, for sure. Like yeah. if I see him, I'm like, oh. That um, is your older man template. Yeah. yeah. You know, he never goes outside without a hat. Yeah. <laughs> he's very Mr. Harris. And um, it, it, but such a beautiful songwriter and uses those like... Um, it's a seventh chord so judiciously like it's asking a question, uh-huh. which I'm always like really uh, oh, ex- excited about. Yeah. Like, oh, when you then that's power pop too when they're like ascending chords to ask questions or the disappointment of a descending. Right. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Transition. Yeah. But um, so then like if you're if you're going now, so you're going to do um, to write, you're in a writing process now or thinking yeah, about it? Yeah, I... I've been working, I'm into writing musicals. Like that's kind of my, for the last couple of years, there's been a couple of musicals I've been working on. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm not really sure what the status, I was asked to write music for um, a musical version of Girl Interrupted. And I'm not really sure what the status is because I'm I'm finding out that like everything takes forever. Mm -hmm. But but I wrote a bunch of songs for it and then recorded them. So I'm going to, I'll put those out as a, as a record, which is, you know, which they're fine with. Um, so, you know, that may be staged someday and it may not. I love that idea, though. I mean, what a great... I think, that, yeah, I thought that, I think it's a really great idea. I think it's, um, you know, certainly like, I love, love writing about crazy people. Love it, you know. Yeah, but the way that you write about crazy people is like, it's so like, because crazy people don't know they're crazy. So we don't know we're crazy. We're just in it. You know? I don't know. I mean, I've had moments where I'm like, okay, this is this is this is what a crazy person does or thinks. Mm-hmm. Like, I where I felt like worried about my sanity. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Mm-hmm. I've definitely experienced that. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do too. But I also, and I've at the edges, I've been at the edges of like substance abuse and things like that and writing about that and like comedy or whatever. It's like, I feel like I'm in it. But then there's always this like thing of thread of like, I'm still sane though. Like I'm still sane because I can right. explain it to people who are not feeling this. Right, right, right. You know, so that's kind of my lifeline to sanity, I think, is that if I'm creating art about it, I can't be all that crazy right (laughs) (laughs) but maybe i don't i don't know yeah yeah i think that's a a helpful tool like it's to to describe you know to to be aware of how you feel and describe how you feel and to Mm. share that with somebody else is how you walk yourself out of a lot of kinds of mental illness i mean obviously some kinds of mental illness are yeah you know more a chemical intractable situation but right but then the, it's that sort of like being able to present it as art to somebody else keeps you out of the Sid Barrett range. Yeah. yeah like yeah. I'm always like kind of like a little bit receding from the Sid Barrett. Li- like there's a part of me that I could go full Sid Barrett. Yeah. And like really lean into it. But I, I try to stay present and not that crazy by having a lifeline of comedy or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Music to get there. Um, but yeah, a musical from you would be just perfect. <laughs> I, I think that I love musicals. Someday. I love musicals, but I don't yeah, like too. a jukebox musical. Oh, I hate, th- I hate that because it's never about the story. Right. The songs have to forward the story. And mm-hmm. obviously the songs are not written for the story. Yeah. Cause they're, you know, they're there. I mean, it would take a really, I don't know, even with a really skilled book writer, but mm-hmm. I think, I, I feel like we usually the book writers just go like, meh, it's hey, they're just here to hear a bunch of songs in a row. Let's stitch these together loosely. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, it's kind that of needed together. Me, uh, drives yeah, I don't me like crazy, that. yeah. It's a lost opportunity because, like, if you looked at, like, the Queen musical, which is very, very successful, but if it was actually about Queen, that yeah. would be so much yeah. better. Yeah, But instead, it's about this weird, futuristic place where music is outlawed. <laughs> I didn't see that one. Did, what, what's your uh, Rocket Man opinion? Well, that's different because... It's his story. So it's like this thing of like, oh, well, that's that's yeah. great. You know, yeah. but this is a, not the not the Queen a biopic, the Queen um, musical that was in London. We oh, will rock you. There was a music. I they had a jukebox that, musical. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah. So it was. Um, so, yeah, the, the Bohemian Rhapsody, the, the movie, the, it's a biopic. So it's great uh-huh. because it, that's what I would hope the Queen musical would have been. Right. Which is about um, Freddie Mercury and right. all of his his life. But. Uh, and Rocket Man is it's just Elton John, which is great. Yeah. But the um, jukebox musical We Will Rock You is uh, about where music is outlawed, and they keep finding these opportunities to play all these Queen songs that uh, have nothing to do with. The I'm going to say right now that that sounds like a dumb idea. Yeah, it's stupid. But it's written by it's written by Ben Elton, who's a great writer. So it should yeah. be great. I should probably keep keep my mouth shut. No, no, no. It's probably somebody I'll run it into. It should be awesome. Yeah. Like that's the thing. I would I love Ben Elton, and I have so many instances of his brilliance. So that if I have an instance of his not being brilliant, I'm gonna bring it up. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that. Also, but. you just never know what's gonna work. Like some some musicals, the. the the concept sounds so dumb and then they but they turn out to be so great yeah you never you know. never know you never know and um you know i think my favorite is probably well i love hamilton of course um but then there was this uh period where i could only listen to hamilton 
and I listened to Hamilton oh so much God. that I couldn't listen to anything yeah, else. And then I'm like, it. I burned, you burned it. it out. I burned yeah. it. But, uh, <laughs> you broke it. I broke that. But I do. I do love. Like I love Rent. Rent is a great one. Hedwig is a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so many that I I love yeah. so much. Yeah. Hair. You like the rock musicals. The I music in Hair is so great. It's I mean, great. there's the story is kind of all over the place, mm-hmm. but. The music is so great. There's so, so great. much music, though. There's so, so many songs. They and just keep coming. All different styles. All I love it. I know. Every one of... I love the melodies to every single one. It's so I mean, good. Some of the, sometimes the lyrics... There's a lot of list songs in here. It is mostly lists. It's a lot of lists. I mean... It's mostly um, all of the different drugs you could do, the different sexual paraphilias you could have, lot, and the hair. Yeah. Then, and then, style. like, who are... What are different... Uh, Initial combinations, mm-hmm. yeah, lots of initial <laughs> LBJ, combinations. Yeah. Um, and uh, a lot know. of the, all the things I don't have here, I don't <laughs> right. like, I don't, I don't got no, yeah, a lot of lists, I, at least seven list songs. I think a lot of lists, oh, also the different uh attributes of uh white boys and black boys, yep, mm-hmm. which is uh is great too, but it it is um. It, there's so many songs and they also don't uh, and none of them sound like they're in the same show except for the lists yeah um and then yeah that that's a funny one i also love godspell love the, love it yeah steven schwartz so great yeah happy great great mel- great pop melodies pop yeah. melodies but there's some of it some of it's kind of it is kind of like uh harry nelson inspired or maybe it's jerry goffin yeah or something there's something deep about it. Yeah. But I, I really appreciate it. But uh, yeah, I would I would I would love to hear an Amy Mann musical. Someday. It's kinda it's gonna I mean it's gonna you'll, just, you'll get the call for the reading. It's gonna be the best. The best. <laughs> well, you're the best. Where can people find your shows and everything about you? Uh, on the, on the I do have a website, yeah. amyman.com. Um yeah, so that you know, if I have tours and stuff that will I don't think I have anything coming up i think i might be doing some shows with rufus wainwright in yeah i love September. rufus um we're talking talking about that that's um, great that's a good that's a really good combination that would be so fun that's He's a really good so combination fantastic i went on tour with him one time and um he uh i never had anything on my writer but he always did but he would always leave early so i would steal all of his nutella oh my god so he had really like he had a, a horn section so they always had lots of Nutella. So I would just steal it every day. Is that, you know, horns love Nutella. They do. Because the this is a circular breathing. They need that chocolate energy <laughs> to keep going. And, uh, but Rufus is so awesome. He's amazing. Uh, remember when he, before he was a star, he would come to the old Largo and John uh, Bryan would have to tell everybody to shut up. Because <laughs> there, there was something about like the late night John Bryan show where they would just get so rowdy. So rowdy, yeah. And then Rufus, here's this guy with a fucking pocket watch. He was like way kind of, he was kind of Victorian, kind of Lord Byron, kind of yeah. steampunk. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. he had a pocket watch. I did not realize And a vest. That. That's so in funny. a vest. And then nobody would listen if he played. And so John would have to stand on stage and tell everybody to shut up. That's kind of amazing because Largo is really a place where, you know, Flanny would tell you to shut yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Right this out was, of the box. This was way before, I think, it's like, like... late at night. Late at night. just really good. Way before Rufus was famous. Uh-huh. And so there was a kind of a thing of like, what's happening? I mean, now, of course, we know that that would never happen, but... Back then, it was. I think it was just like they were starting to work on Rufus's first record, right? Mm-hmm. And so Rufus was kind of coming in and uh, with the in the pocket watch. Pocket watch watch really stood out for you. I can't stop. <laughs> it was like um, 
what's the Christopher Reeve movie? It's like t- with time. I <laughs> I don't know if it's time. It's time in a oh, bottle. Yeah. No. Time after time. Time after time. Yeah. Or, yeah. It's like very like. It's Jane Seymour and Christopher Reeve. Mm-hmm. Is time after time. Yeah, and he like through hypnosis goes back in time, something yeah. like that. And yeah. there's a pocket watch. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> thank you so much. I love you. I love you too. Thank you for having me. Thank you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And now my conversation with comedian filmmaker Jenna Friedman. I was watching your uh, comedy and I uh, was so laughing about the true crime situation. Like, I think it's so, you're so right about how we do, women watch true crime in order to not do what they did or just to be safe. I I totally watch it for that reason or listen to it for that reason. Yeah, it's an escapism, but it has reached this like peak where it's just, there's so much of it. Mm-hmm. And then... There are when I heard that there were tours going to like um, wherever they filmed making a murder, you just grieve for the families. Mm-hmm. It's How, intense. It's intense, and then there's such an economy around it. But mm-hmm. the families who are grieving see none of that money, and like right. it's a thing we like to not talk about. But it's just the whole thing is so it's such a bizarre uh, economy. It is, but I do think that it is like I watch and read and listen to the different podcasts in order to avoid the situations that come up you know i think that it is like certainly the world is a is a hostile place for women yeah so that that it makes you reminded of that yeah and there there i think there's an awareness among the community that it can be exploitative so there are a lot of like a lot of victims, families do appreciate people drawing attention to cases that mm-hmm. detectives or that the criminal justice system has just been unable to or not had the resources to care about. Mm-hmm. And then, so I think there are, you know, the more we kind of talk about it, it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, and also so many of the crimes are just like big, like from before there was Google Earth. So there's like also yeah. a kind of funny thing about like technology being helpful to women in yeah. that regard. Yeah. Totally. I mean, and but there's like also the this weird um, uh, uh, they call it hybristophilia when um, you fall in love with a murderer or like a violent person. And that's like a very big deal 
I mean, maybe not even a literal sense, but the fans around like Ted Bundy or somebody like that, it's really horrifying. It's upsetting. Do you think it's gender? Do you think like more, it's more of like a female into men who are that way? Or do you think? Well, I think it's, I think it is because just because men are naturally, we're just, um, you know, they're the ones killing. Yeah. I mean, the female murderers, I'm sure have the same kind of yeah but if they usually murder their partner then it's like it makes you less want to get involved with them i guess (laughs) but it's like um the weirdness of uh that like being sort of like a matinee idol or something yeah you know it's a very it's a very creepy thing a while ago i wrote a whole screenplay about a woman falling in love with a serial killer but it wasn't actually about murder it was just like a metaphor for love and what you're willing to put up with when you meet someone you love oh that's that's great and also in new york where i was living forever it's so hard to connect and meet people Mm -hmm. that he was like a feminist even though he only killed men and he also like (laughs) yeah and she was like he like supported what she did professionally Uh and so i don't know i think there's something weird and and i think it was maybe because it came out of i dated somebody who was like an alcoholic and then like I just all the energy and sadness I felt after we broke up I put it into like trying to be creative so Mm -hmm. it was really just like a metaphor like it it was kind of autobiographical about dating like an alcoholic but I do think women do put up with so much stuff that like it's funny to like look at like a guy like you know it wasn't even Ted Bundy it was um, Gary Ridgway yeah 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 so there was this Netflix show called like who the bleep did I marry or something yeah and this woman who was married to Gary um was interviewed and you could see how much he loved her and right. what a like a healthy relationship that they had mm-hmm. and then you there were like the darkly comedic elements where she was like you know did I have any like signs like maybe the one time when we were moving in and getting serious he took me to help him buy a new carpet or something <laughs> like horrible <laughs> oh, stuff oh god but it is it's interesting to think about like especially like men like Gary Ridgway or BTK who mm-hmm. had like families yeah. and were good fathers right. and doing this thing and then a lot of times doing it to like sex workers and vulnerable women and what we as a society almost permit or like right. how I mean it's the whole paradigm or whatever is really kind of it's a fascinating like way to view like inequality and mm-hmm. and uh, racism and how messed right. up our society is by like how we see serial killers in the public imagination. Yeah, it's true. It's a very strange um, skewed vision. I mean there was like a period in the 90s where uh, I think like all of that was kind of like growing as a subculture, like true crime and like crime in general and gore and um, lurid stories like these true detective stories. And um, and it, we were very jaded as a society, very cynical in the 90s. And it was kind of all about this sort of very like self-hatred thing. And it was like very Gen X to be like really depressed. And so I remember getting into like a lot of um, – that kind of like literature, like serial killer, like books. And and a lot of people were buying like John Wayne Gacy paintings. He was still alive, at, I think, at that point. And so they were like buying his artwork for a lot of money. And it's so crazy to me. Like that, that's, that was a thing that was so like real. You think that we're like more, I guess, or like less jaded now? Or I think they're... we're less jaded. I think that there is more of an understanding that these are – real stories that it's not make-believe that it's not like um horror yeah and that there are real victims who suffer every day without their family members or or um are in pain because of what happened so it's something that i think 
we're looking at more in a well-rounded way, like you were saying, like, you know, thinking about just like the families and, and what they must go through. But I mean, I do think what's good about it is that there's attention paid to cases that were like cold cases and that there's a lot of like armchair detectives who want to go for it. Yeah. And I think that's positive. That is positive. You know. The whole thing with the Golden State Killer. Like that it's is incredible. Like, it's incredible. It's really incredible. And, um, you know, that uh, that whole case has a lot of weird overlay with comedy because, you know, yeah. Michelle and, and Michelle's book and, you know, Patton's wife, like that whole thing. And, and even um, all of my favorite murder stuff. Actually, Karen Kogarif and I did a sketch in my comedy special in like 1996 where we um, played uh, – she was a prison guard, and I was a woman in love with a serial killer. <laughs> it was a very dark '90s sketch, but it was something that, like, I think, at that time, seemed very uh, outré, very like it could never happen. But now it's kind of a, it's kind of almost normal. Yeah. I wonder, like, I think about all the women that are contacting Chris Watts in prison. You know, he was the guy that murdered his uh, wife and the two little girls and put them in the oh, oil God. tank. Oh God. He gets last year. Yeah, he gets a lot of a fan mail from from women, um, and uh, yeah, it's it, it is a kind of hyperstophilia is real. It's a kind of like eroticism around the possibility of a murderer, somebody dangerous, maybe that you can tame them, maybe yeah, that's it, or fix them, or even just celebrity around them. Yeah, that it's something that is like I'm such a so much of a woman that I mm-hmm. could even civilize, um, you know, somebody like that. Somebody yeah. that is just so terrible. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think, like, I'm more conscious of crime because we're, like, traveling all the time by ourselves and in hotel rooms and, you know, alone. And, you know, even though, like, I'm feminist and I honestly believe that we are just as strong as men, but, you know, we're, we're not. In physically, a lot of ways. in physically. some ways, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I my fears, and I don't even want to like say it because I don't want to invoke it, but it's just like the, the being on stage element mm-hmm. more than like when you're not on stage. I mm-hmm. think that I don't know. I I admire you both. You and Janine, I think, are two people who have always been like really political and outspoken. Mm-hmm. And I think as comics, it's a dicey. It's hard to do yeah. that and to pull it off. And then as female comics, there's just this extra level of threatening because mm-hmm. you're threatening your political even if you're not talking about politics just right, being a just woman on stage yeah. occupying the space and then to be political and so I, do you feel afraid at all when you do that kind of stuff or did you at any point i don't think so i think because there is a kind of safety in the witnesses on when you're on stage is that you're surrounded by all of the p- other people there and so then um some of the uh fear is taken away because you're you're in a very public way you're you know you're there so some of that I think kind of goes away I I don't know like I I get um I get really upset when I think about somebody like Christina Grimmie who was the voice contestant I think um, about that and I it just I'm I have chills now yeah well she was shot during a meet and greet with um fans uh by a super fan or something even like um Mark David Chapman with John Lennon, you know, that kind of stuff where it's like a kind of an isolated moment. And they weren't even isolated. It was like, you know, for, for John Lennon was on the street in front of the Dakota and for her it was during this meet and greet. So it's like even though you're being witnessed, you, you're not necessarily safe. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think I think it's really 
something when you're outspoken and political and a woman, it's certainly um, we're at risk, you know, just talking about anything can because we have to deal with sort of this unspoken misogyny that but is so palpable and, and real. yeah and I it's my, my favorite people in the world are, are you know female and gender fluid or gender neutral comics just not I like male comics too but yeah, just yeah. I love female comics and I think uh, in Edinburgh this past year mm-hmm. I you know it's such an international scene and a friend of mine Aditi Mittal she's a comic from India and she's so funny uh, and also, I hate to say, like, so brave because it's such a cliche. But mm-hmm. what she's doing um, in a country where there's so much misogyny, it's so powerful and it's yeah. so important. And I just think it's, you know, uh, we're in this weird moment where we do have fascism kind of like making a comeback all over the world. But mm-hmm. then just outspoken women on stage being funny. I feel like I don't know if that's enough to be like an antidote to that. But it yeah. is like such an encouraging, positive it is. sign of dem- democratic um, action. It feels good. It feels really good. What shows did you do in Edinburgh? I have an hour show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Miscarriage of Justice. It's mm-hmm. like um, I did an hour show f- about four years ago called American Cunt. Mm-hmm. I can say cunt. Of course, right? yes. It, it was just like a political hour leading up to the 2016 election that we filmed uh, for CISO. <laughs> May it rest in peace. And then I just did that again leading up to 2020. I'm doing it tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a political hour of comedy that it's just kind of my way to in this weird moment digest all the stuff that's going on yeah it's great that's yeah. great I love the word cunt I love I love it's a great word I love it and it's so interesting because certain I mean it was it became it was just like it the title came out of a joke of my friend being like well there are 3,000 shows you really need one to pop uh, uh-huh. you need a title that really gets people's <laughs> attention and it was a play on you know how in the UK cunt is a term of endearment Absolutely, yeah yeah, but then the show and it like my comedy is not totally blue, but the show became really about. I mean, in the beginning, my first workshop was like 2015, so it was like right when they were announcing Trump, and I remember mm-hmm. saying his name, and people would laugh because it was just like funny that he was running. Yeah, and then yeah. the show became about gender, and like that election was so gendered uh, in yeah, such totally. a really interesting way, and um. The word like cunt is so funny because it's so offensive to people, but it's so much in my mind, so much um, more innocuous than the word crazy, which I feel like the is worst. so bad and it's so bad. It's worse than bitch because like cunt is so harsh that if somebody calls you a cunt, it reflects poorly on them. Right. Whereas right. crazy is like an erasure. So like you call right. someone crazy and then people stop believing that person and yeah, it's completely. the worst. Yeah, it's the worst. And it's something that's always put on women that it's like we're the ones that are crazy. We're the ones that are hysterical. And we're imagining all of this stuff, which is like, it's totally discounts your opinion. It just devalues everything. So you're right. That's the worst. And I do think we're in a cool moment. I think part of it is podcast. Part of it is like the feminist blogosphere. And just the fact that we can talk about all these things, like mm-hmm. the, even just having terms like gaslighting, love bombing, mm-hmm. and, you know, all these kinds of terms help us understand things that we thought we were crazy for, right. you know, and now it's just so refreshing I mean we might be in like the last breath of (laughs) democratic society (laughs) but it's cool that uh, we're talking about all these things and feeling less crazy right and it's important to like really think about like yeah gaslighting love bombing those things are so real and happen all the time even without people really realizing what it is or really knowing and to have at least um, a way to talk about it you know it's it's helpful 
But it's always very strange to be like a woman in comedy. It still is, even though we have progressed somewhat, sort of, as a society and as an industry, you know. But I think women in comedy are, we're just tougher, you know. We just have to deal with so much more shit and we have to support each other. And there's so few of us. Yeah, I remember, so it's so funny, like, uh, Meryl Marco, uh, who is just I love, a yeah. genius. She's great. I remember watching something from, like, 1985 or something where some guy was asking Meryl, like, you know, what's it like to be a woman in comedy? And she almost, it was so, I've talked to her about this, but she kind of, like, laughed it off because it's like we get we get that question so much or questions around that so much. Yeah. But to see her getting questions in the mid-'80s that, like, we were still getting in, like, 2005, you think that things change in a positive direction, but they don't automatically do. We really have to fight for them and keep fighting all the mm-hmm. time. And you do that mm-hmm. so well. I, I, I really admire that. Um, I started comedy, I think, in 2005. Mm-hmm. And from then to now, it has changed for the in a positive direction yeah. so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting because we do have to make it. We can't just sit back. We can never relax, is my no, point. No, and you have to continually go up against it and talk about it and talk about everything um, and, and really believe in what you're saying. It's so weird how they can sort of sense any kind of weakness or like um, uncertainty. Um, it's a it's a weird thing. And it's like, um, I, I don't know, I'm proud that we get to do comedy. I'm proud that we have this ability, but it, this generation is, it's tough. What's the, like, what it feels tougher now? I, I think because it's like the, the way that misogyny exists in comedy, it's hard to explain, but it's like invisibility is very hard to explain to men or to make real to men because they seem to think that opportunities are there for women that are not we have to fight through and cut through so much to even get a place at the table yeah so i think that's most of it is that sort of like thing of like we're not getting the opportunities the guys get yet for some reason they think that we do they think especially that we do. now there is this thing where you know as like I love that New York just put out a diversity tax credit. So like, mm. if you bring on more diverse casting crew, you actually um, get tax credits, which yeah. I think is genius because there is this illusion. It's like when other people achieve equality to people who are in power, it feels like oppression. Mm-hmm. And so there is, I think, this illusion among men to some degree, to some degree that, you know, um, there, there are less jobs for them and in some way there are more diversified rooms so talented people who would be excluded from that process are getting into the rooms um but the numbers and in, in like directing and like female showrunners and stuff are still pretty bad like mm-hmm. almost some have gone backwards yeah yeah um it is it is a really interesting time though because it is all coming up and to the surface in, in yeah. interesting ways. Like when I think about um, in not just comedy, but like um, indie filmmaking in the 90s, it was like an era where somebody like um, Harvey Weinstein could flourish because he had so much power. And there was this idea that we were in an advanced society that didn't have the casting couch, that didn't have that. But we totally were in the middle of it. I mean, that was up until like two years ago. Because it's easy for it's easy for me to get into this like doom and gloom thing because of like climate change, because of uh-huh. Trump, because of all this stuff. But 
Harvey Weinstein is like now maybe about to be in prison, hopefully, maybe not, but at mm-hmm. least he's not making movies. And yeah. Um, and that just happened this past year. Yeah. So there are like tangible markers of progress mm-hmm. that we have to kind of, I think, hold on to to feel less deflated. Yeah. And I do remember the night before the election, I went to see. Uh, full frontal mm-hmm. I went to Sam's show and then I and I saw I think maybe the night before that or whatever or after that I, yeah the night before that I saw Tig mm-hmm. uh, at Carnegie Hall with a Parna opening for her oh yeah yeah and I was just like the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends <laughs> towards justice and I was so <laughs> excited because since 2005 I've seen more women I've seen more uh just diverse voices, um, non-binary folks, uh, people of color, just getting into the mainstream and not only making stuff, getting paid to make stuff, which yeah. is always an important thing. So great. Um, and then that thing happened with Trump and it was so deflating. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because I feel like that, and we don't need to discuss that whole thing. I, I mean, I don't think that that, I mean, he did not win the popular vote, which is really what I hold right. on to. He didn't mm-hmm. win democratically, and there were no. a lot of forces at play. But I still, I think, like, if we were, if we didn't have, like, Kremlin interference and yada, yada, and yada, yada, and yada, yada, we still, like, I look at the comedy community as, like, a marker of, like, how, like, change can progress over time. Absolutely. It's true. It's true. And it's, it's definitely inspiring. Or that the biggest comedian can be toppled because of women. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about how much people love Louis C.K. They love Louis C.K. And then, you and know, he's women still came touring. Forward. I know that that's the thing. But, but it's good. But like, look, I Louis was always kind to me. I mean, like coming up, he hit on every female comic yeah, I yeah. know, but he was always uh, he wasn't. The funny thing is there were men who came out to criticize Louis who were way worse to me. And mm-hmm. so it's like that's the other thing of like the feminist guys. Um, and with Louis, you know, I think. He is still touring, so it's not, he's not canceled, which is also mm-hmm. a really funny thing about how, like, like Les Moonves, who I think was far more uh, dangerous than Louis, mm-hmm. I think he has, like, a production deal. And that guy assaulted his doctor mm-hmm. um, and and uh, canceled designing women, which isn't <laughs> the same. <laughs> but also, and then, like, contributed, he greenlit so many, like, Two and a Half Men and all these misogynistic shows mm-hmm. that really influenced the culture. Like, you had men like Les and Harvey who were determining the culture, and mm-hmm. they couldn't even be alone in a room with a woman yeah. without attacking them. Yeah. And that's what our society is. Yes. And it's 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 really scary. Um but yeah, to your point with Louis, I remember having a conversation with Louis at the cellar where he was like, I feel bad for women. You guys will drop everything if you meet someone you love. And I just remember like having all the feelings that we're talking about now, but I didn't know how to articulate them. Uh-huh. And then like when the a year later when the Cosby stuff came out, before the Louis stuff came out, uh-huh. I wrote a joke on our conversation and I didn't name him, but I was like, yeah, women, we might drop our careers, you know, uh, for love because we don't have paid leave you know yeah. like for a family yeah but like men aren't that different you might not drop your careers for love but you'll fuck it up for a sex crime mm-hmm. and it was such a cool way to like articulate the frustration that i felt that i wasn't able to articulate in that like kind yeah. of brief seller conversation well, with great. him but it is a really interesting thing with him because he is such a hero mm-hmm. and i actually think that part of the reason that 
whatever happened happened was less actually because he assaulted the women in the room and more just because he lied about it and gaslit his fans yeah and was seen as this truth teller and then acted differently than the way we perceived him we heralded him as this feminist mm-hmm. when there are people like you mm-hmm. <laughs> and there yeah. are people like tig and yeah. janine who have who are incredible feminist trailblazers mm-hmm. who should be making exactly what he's making right. and having the exact same power that he has in the industry. But we like look to men for all this stuff I automatically. Know. And that's what I mean. It's like the invisibility of female power is so hard to even contemplate, like because we just we're we're just so blind to any of that. Like we just don't see. So I think it's I think it's really important to like always kind of call attention to it, talk about it, and talk yeah, about feminism. Yeah, and when in a way. he said that he like lost thirty five million in a day or something, yeah, you're just like, is Sarah getting thirty five million? <laughs> or like, is like Maria Bamford getting thirty five? Like, what? Yeah. How how are you guys getting these? Like, I mean, it's not a question. I don't know why I'm. At- it's not a question. <laughs> we know, but yeah, just like. Yeah, I I think we do need to you know take this moment to turn our attention to people actually doing it, doing it, doing it, talking about it, like you and like you, me and us. And where can people find your all of your stuff on? Like when if they want to come see you do shows, where can they? So I do like tweet shows. I have this uh, show on Adult Swim. It's not stand up; it's live action. But it's um it's called Self Focus, and we're doing another episode. It hasn't been announced, but it's like my dream project. Mm-hmm. And um, it is it is feminist, but it's also like the adult swim demographic is a lot of like 18 year old boys. So it's kind of it's very silly. But we talk Mm -hmm. about like campus rape and we did a segment on harassment and gaming. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're doing another one of those. If you're interested, you can just a lot of them are on YouTube. You could just Google soft focus in my name. Um, And then I've been doing stand up. I'm going back to London to do some shows. And that's great. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you came today. Thank you so much Thanks for having me. Thank you. And nice to meet your cute little dog, Lucia. Thank you. Never miss an episode of the Margaret show. Subscribe on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen. The Margaret show is an Erio's production with editing by Kat Hong and original music by Garrison Starr. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.